Hello, and welcome back to Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry, the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. On Current Account, I try to talk about what I see as the most important current issues in international finance and economics, while providing my own U.S. politics and policy angle on these different issues when it is relevant. On this week's Current Account, we're going to take a closer look at some of the topics that I raised at the end of 2023 with the IIF CEO, Tim Adams. Specifically, the issue of 2024 being a year filled with geopolitical and geoeconomic risks. The IIF works with financial institutions. Financial institutions, by nature, have to worry about macroeconomic and financial risks and vulnerabilities, but they also have to look at things that could affect those issues. And clearly, geopolitics and geoeconomics is one of those issues. So, What are those issues as we start 2024? I'd put them into three buckets. The first, and probably the easiest to understand, is clearly the ongoing wars that are taking place in Ukraine after Russia's invasion there in 2022, and now in Israel after Hamas's terrorist activities on October 7th and the response that has taken place from the Israeli government. In the first place, in Russia's war on Ukraine, there's clearly, as we've seen over the last two years, been an impact on commodity prices, an impact on energy markets, as well as food markets. And we've seen, obviously, a big impact on investors because of the sanctions that took place from the United States, Europe, and other countries around the world. How does this continue as we go into 2024, particularly here during the winter? when Russia had been such a valuable source of energy products for Europe. Europe has diversified away from this over time, but we'll see how much of an impact a tougher winter, which we don't know whether that'll happen or not, but also this stalemate that is taking place in Ukraine and what will happen and how will it affect Europe overall. In Israel, we covered late last year whether or not could this war stay within the boundaries of Israel or would it spill over to other countries? And could that spillover therefore affect other economies, markets? And we're already seeing that supply chains are being caught in basically the crossfire of this conflict. And as I'm recording this, just last night, the United States and the United Kingdom launched military operations against the Houthis in Yemen, which is clearly not Israel, because of their attacks on shipping in the Red Sea. So the impact that everybody was worried about, could this war spread out beyond Israel, has already started to happen. And as we go further into 2024, the question will be is how much of an impact really is that? The second bucket goes to kind of an old stalwart which is the tension between the United States and China. That tension's been growing for years. There had been significant tension before Donald Trump became president in 2016, but it clearly got worse, largely starting in the trade area, but then spreading. And it has spread even further during the Biden administration. You saw an attempt, at least by the Biden administration, along with the President Xi of China, to try to put a floor under that. We've seen that attempt twice now. We saw it in late 2022, and then we saw it again in late 2023. But tensions between the United States and China clearly will have impact 
on the financial world, potentially on sanctions, potentially on technology issues, trade frictions, as I mentioned before, and even the dynamics of the foreign exchange markets. The third bucket is the one that everybody started to talk about, which is democracy. Democracy, I think, from a U.S. perspective, is a positive thing. But there's going to be democratic elections throughout the world. I think a lot of you have started to probably hear about how many elections. It's a tremendous amount of the world's population, as well as a huge chunk of the world's GDP. A recent Financial Times story called it the most intense 12 months of democracy since the idea of democracy was minted 2,500 years ago. I think an important point about all these democratic elections, however, is not to just focus on that headline, but to think about what is the signal and what is the noise. So the noise clearly is that there's going to be elections in so many different places, in so many different countries, but the signal is which one of those will actually have an impact. First, maybe an impact on the country, then on the region, and then globally. And not all of these elections will have that. They just won't. Some of the elections will not be that competitive. And some of the elections are just not as important from a geopolitical standpoint. That doesn't mean they're not important for the specific countries. But sometimes it's hard to know exactly what will happen. In just the last few months of 2023, we saw upsets in Poland, in the Netherlands, and to a kind of a different extent in Argentina. All of those elections will have an impact on Europe and on Latin America but it also could have even greater impact in other places. There are obviously other big factors that are not part of these three buckets, whether it's the rise of protectionism, the rise of cyber technologies like artificial intelligence, the importance sometimes in a political sense, sometimes non-political sense of climate change. We talked a little bit about that with my colleague Sonia Gibbs just last week. But I would rather right now at least focus on the three buckets I mentioned. And I think it's an important point, which is I call them buckets, mainly because I like to use that word, but also because it helps me try to keep things organized in my mind. But all of them obviously can have impact on each other. The U.S.-China tension clearly has an impact on how we think about the U.S. elections, but it also could have an impact on what's going on in Mexico, which has an election in early June or potentially even in South Africa, which has an election in May. And so maybe let's talk a little bit about some of those elections. The first one that we should think about, and it might even be the most impactful election of the year, is in Taiwan. And that's taking place this weekend. In fact, when this is, will be released, the elections will have taken place. The Taiwanese elections are important for a few reasons. Probably the main one is because of the cross-border tension between Taiwan and China. China's president, Xi, said at the beginning of 2024 that it is an historical inevitability that Taiwan will become part of China. The leading political party in Taiwan, the DPP, which is the current governing party, is considered to be the party that most wants independence from China, which is something that China does not agree with at all. Its leading contender, the KMT, is considered to be more friendly towards China in cross-border strait issues, whereas the third party that has risen up, the TPP, is considered to be kind of in between those two parties. Now, the elections will happen. We'll see what happens for the Taiwanese people. 
There are obviously other issues that they have to vote on that are not necessarily related to its relationship with China. But from a geopolitical standpoint, that will be kind of the key thing. And how does China react to the elections? And how do countries like the United States and others react to China's reaction? Only time will tell. Other elections that will be taking place in the next few months include, in February, fairly large elections in the countries of Indonesia and Pakistan. Both of these elections could be quite contentious and could have a major impact in those very important countries. India's election in March, which is clearly going to be one of the oldest democracies there is and the largest democracy, is actually expected to be pretty straightforward for the current government under Prime Minister Modi. Maybe we'll be surprised, but right now that one seems like it's kind of going in a certain direction. In May, as I mentioned, we'll see elections in South Africa with some at least conversation happening that this will be the first time in a post-apartheid country that the ANC, the party led by Nelson Mandela until his death, could actually lose. So they've been in power since 1994, that's 30 years. Could they actually lose to some of the other parties? That's something that we'll think about as we go forward. In June, we'll see the Mexican elections. The current government under President, what everybody calls AMLO, is expected to win, except for there is opportunity there for us to see a different party rise up. Actually, very interesting, the two leading candidates in Mexico are both women, and Mexico has never had a woman president before. In June, the European Parliament elections will take place. And in the past, sometimes these elections didn't seem to matter as much. But I think actually that will not be the case in 2024, as we are actually seeing a number of parties rise up who are kind of anti-EU. The best example of that took place in the Netherlands late last year. So could you actually have a parliament which is actually does not want to continue with the kind of European project. Clearly in the United States, the biggest election for us in the world is our elections, which will be in November this year. Um, That's a set date right now. um, And we've talked about this in earlier podcasts, again, with my friend A.B. Stoddard, which is that it looks like it'll be President Trump or former President Trump versus current President Joe Biden. So. We'll have two roughly octogenarians fighting it out to be the next president of the United States. And maybe lastly, there's other elections that I'm not even talking about, but one of the key things will be what happens in the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom, we're not exactly sure when the election will take place. It has to take place before the end of January of 2025. I think current Prime Minister Sunak has suggested that it should take place in the second half of this year. But it's still a little unclear when that will take place. And so we could see for the first time in roughly a dozen years, the UK switch parties from the Conservatives to the Labour Party. In the end, we have to, of course, ask ourselves, well, that's all great, but why do we care? Earlier, I said we need to care because such possible disruptions could have an impact on markets, supply chains commodities prices, trade issues, potentially inflation, all of these issues could be affected by what happens this year. And so we at the IAF will continue to focus a lot on this. So overall, 2024 is going to be a year of change. Sometimes you'll like it, sometimes you won't. 
But what it will do is it brings lots of uncertainty. And so we'll continue to follow these issues as best as we can, not just on this podcast, of course, but the work that we try to do around the IIF. While in the end, I certainly wish that there was less tension and clearly wish there was less war, this type of volatility does make you think about where's the more sober-minded people and how can we calmly, objectively look at these issues going forward. Hopefully, we can try to help you here on Current Account. And now it's time for my three, two, one. My three main takeaways from what I was talking about today, two things I'm looking forward to, and my one sports fact. Here are my three main takeaways. First is there's lots of geopolitical risks taking place in 2024, as I think everybody would know. And they could roughly be put into three buckets, ongoing wars, US-China tension, and a very, very busy electoral calendar. Second, nonetheless, we should continue to disaggregate these issues. We cannot just put them in buckets. We need to look through and find where's the noise around everything and where's the signal of something that's actually important that could create actually true risks. And third is that geopolitical issues clearly can have an impact or consequences on financial markets, on macroeconomics, and that's the other part of the signal part that we need to be thinking about. The two things I'm looking forward to are, first, look, there's so many different elections I'll be looking forward to and I'll be trying to think about, but clearly this weekend, or by the time you hear this, it won't be looking forward anymore because it just would have happened, are the Taiwanese elections and what actually does that mean for the region and potentially the world. And next, again, it's something that's happening right now, which is the spread of the war in Israel beyond its borders and what actually takes place, especially now that the U.S. and the U.K. have taken military action. And now my one sports fact. And this week, I'm going to talk about darts. Now, before I start, let me say that when I originally agreed to do the Current Account podcast, I said the one thing I wanted to add was something on sports. Why am I telling you this? Because I am not clear that darts is a sport. So, I have a question for everybody at the end of what I'm about to say. But let me just talk about darts for one second. Specifically, one dart player, 16-year-old Luke Littler, who is an Englishman, has taken the world by storm in pursuit of becoming the youngest winner of the World Darts Championship. In fact, in the end, he beat a few past champions, but he fell one win short of his goal. It was quite inspirational because he came on the scene, nobody really had ever heard of him, and he was only 16 years old. Supposedly, he started throwing darts when he was 18 months old, which, by the way, I have a hard time believing, but okay. Clearly, he still has plenty of time to become the youngest world champion, since right now that title goes to then 24-year-old Michael Van Gerwen, who won it in 2014. Now, let's go back to my original question. Is darts a sport? We would love to hear from you on this vital question, which is, of course, not only is darts a sport, but what? how do you define sports? I actually came up with a definition when I was in grad school, which my uh, roommate thought I was an idiot about. So I will just kind of ask it again. Is darts a sport? And with that, that's going to wrap up this episode of Current Account. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback on the show, and we constantly look to improve and enhance the experience for you, the listener. We can be reached at podcast at IIF.com. 
All our episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and goodbye.